Welcome back to another edition of the Disney Dish Podcast with Jim Hill. It's me, Len Testa, and this is our show for the week of Schmerzday, October 24th, 2022. On the show today, news, listener questions, and news surveys. Then in our main segment, Jim finishes up the history of the 1999 redo of Epcot's Journey into Imagination. Let's get started by bringing in the man who notes that when people say, make yourself at home, that's permission to rearrange their silverware drawer into a more logical layout. It's Mr. Jim Hill. Jim, how's it going? It's going well, Lynn. I, speaking of making yourself at home, when people invite you to their home and serve you dinner, what is your instinct when it comes time to clear? Do you get up to help? Do you grab plates and, and walk into the, the kitchen? Um, yes, because otherwise they won't leave you a tip. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> I, what I, what I, were you I, thinking? <laughs> I don't know. There, Smashing there are hostesses. plates like we're in Greece. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there are hostesses that love this, and there are hostesses who, who kind of get a nerve by it. It's like, no, no, your job is to sit there. Don't come in my kitchen. I don't want you to see, you know, the, the, yeah, ignore uh, the yeah, man behind go, the oh, curtain. Oh, that's right. Yeah. I never thought of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's true. I guess it's been so long since I've been over someone's house for dinner, you know, with the pandemic and everything. Well, I didn't say they invited me, Len. I mean, you know, just you, know, <laughs> you, you just walk around you the neighborhood checking doors. You know, just... <laughs> Hey, you got everyone's got to eat, Jim. Everyone's got to there we go. There we go. <laughs> All right, let's do a quick shout out to subscribers over at DisneyDish.bandcamp.com. Thanks to new subscribers Jen Surma, SM Bernhardt1964, Josh Hopkins, and VB Camp, and longtime subscribers James from Above, Dan McGillan, Daron Johnson, and Chris Taylor. Jim, these are the Jungle Cruise skippers who were mistakenly assigned to work the narration at Epcot's opening day Listen to the Land Ride. While guests to this day say it was the best entertainment ever offered in the Land Pavilion, it also resulted in new guidelines from Kraft's lawyers on the proper pronunciation of the word quinoa and a new operations manual titled Guest Rescue from Hydroponic Assemblies, Volume 1. True story. Speaking of true stories, on the flight back from Orlando this past week, I read a book called A Walk in the Park, Reflections from Disneyland's First Host, written by a gentleman called Bob Darcy, that talks about the park has only been open for like six weeks at this point, and Bob befriends one of the musicians who's working at the Golden Horseshoe, who then one point turns to him and says, hey, would you like to turn on? And I, long story short... <laughs> like dropping acid in the parks? Actually, it was a more innocent time. They just slipped away to a quiet corner of the park, which, by the way, turned out to be right next to the giraffe on the Jungle Cruise oh. and lit up there. Okay, that could go either way. It turns out that the giraffe at that time had a name, Blinky. Blinky? And yeah. one point when they were down there smoking... They noticed that the grass that had been in Blinky's mouth, so they sort of simulate, you know, his head would rear up and as if he had been eating the brush right behind. Sure. The, that's what you saw from the, the Jungle Cruise boat. And they noticed that someone else had found this spot and, and had been enjoying it because <laughs> someone had left behind a bra and a pair of panties. So they put those in Blinky's mouth. Oh, God. <laughs> so well, what they describe in the book is the giraffe rears up behind the foliage and, you know, is then chewing on the, you know, the panties and the uh, the bra. And the poor Jungle Cruise driver just loses it, you know, because it's like, why? Well, yes, I'm supposed to be describing And now that's canon thing. on the Jungle Cruise in Disneyland. There we go. There we go. So. That is fantastic. Yep. 
All right, Jim, let's do the news. Folks, the Disney Dish News is brought to you by Storybook Destinations, trusted travel partner of the Disney Dish Podcast. For a worry-free travel experience every time, book online at storybookdestinations.com. All right, Jim, you and I have a couple of events coming up. Mm -hmm. The second annual Gingerbread Challenge in Walt Disney World, which starts Friday, December 2nd, 2022. We're also doing a live podcast recording on December 2nd, and tickets are available at Storybook Destinations. Mm -hmm. The uh, topic is March of the Wooden Soldiers, right, Jim? Yes, it is. And in fact, these characters have been part of the Christmas parade since the early 60s mm -hmm. at Disneyland. So I know mm -hmm. there are people out there who wore these massively heavy suits and marched to the park. And frankly, Len and I would love to hear from you to share a story or two oh, about yeah. what it's like to wear this outfit and be part of the Christmas parade. So if you, you feel like reaching out and sharing a story or two, we'd love to feature this as part of the this live podcast we'll be doing. That's fantastic. And we're, uh, we're doing the podcast at Disney's Contemporary Resort, mm -hmm. which is walking distance to the Magic Kingdom. I think uh, breakfast starts at 8 a.m. on mm -hmm. December 2nd. Podcast starts around 8.30 or so and should run no for no more than, what, Jim, three, four, six hours? Oh, Bring a cot, <laughs> folks. Yes. <laughs> and then from there, we're directly going to go to the Magic Kingdom. We will do uh, the uh, Gingerbread Challenge. We will do the second annual Race for Tomorrow Today at the Tomorrowland Speedway and also the Country Bear Sing Along some other things that should be a hoot also i'm speaking at iapa on november 18th and that's in the morning i will get you guys a link to register for this if you want to come along and then finally you and i are doing the galactic star cruiser on march 30th 2023 there are only a few cabins left for this i think last week we said jim or two weeks ago we said there were only like two dozen cabins left on the entire ship mm -hmm. and we had booked two dozen cabins so that's a lot of people. So a lot of uh, a lot of Disney Dish listeners uh, yeah. should be there. That'll be is going. Uh, that's going to be a lot of fun. So again, storybookdestinations.com slash Disney Dish mm -hmm. uh, for that. Cool, cool. All right, Jim. Uh, on to the news. Uh, every show should begin with a round of self congratulations, Jim. On mm -hmm. last week's show, we hinted that a beloved Hollywood Studios thing will return the first week of November. Lo and behold. This week, Disney announced the return in Fantasmic starting November 3rd mm -hmm. with cast member and media previews on November 1st and 2nd. So the return of the show is going to include an extra three minutes of runtime. So it'll be just under half an hour. And that includes a new scene, uh, Jim, focusing on Disney heroes. What have you, what have you heard about this? I don't know if you are familiar with the show and amazement that they did at Disneyland back in the mid 90s, but they did the Hercules number. I can go the distance, which then mm -hmm. blended into, you know, uh, out there from Hunchback of Notre Dame and then dovetailed into just around the river bend from Pocahontas. And it then became this amazing trio. And oh. and supposedly this heroes number is going to try to sort of replicate that same field, the notion of blending, you know, the music, you know, the musical themes we associate with Disney heroes, with a number of performers on stage who are sort of in separate spotlights, but eventually begin to interact together. So, it, I mean, it really sounds like a cool idea. Yeah, that sounds interesting. We'll see yep. how that uh, how that pans out. So mm -hmm. the uh, the runtime uh, is, I believe, twenty nine minutes now. Which, as far as Disney spectaculars go, is yeah. is fairly long, right? I'm honestly kind of surprised. I, normally, the way, especially these days, Disney you know yeah. goes is like, yeah, we chopped two minutes out, you know, but added yeah. three minutes. I mean, Illuminations was eighteen minutes. This is fifty percent longer than that. Yeah, yeah. So we'll we'll see what happens. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing is, is this should be uh, available for reservations in Genie Plus. And my guess is that uh, Genie Plus reservations won't count uh, towards your like, next Genie Plus reservation. Mm -hmm. I can make rules. We'll see what happens there. 
Also, uh, Monsieur Paul has reopened at Epcot's France Pavilion as a fixed price menu. Mm-hmm. And taking a page from the Victorian Albert's Playbook, mm-hmm. it's priced at $175 per person. Mm-hmm. Also, only available to guests ages 10 and up. Plus, Jim, a dress code. Mm-hmm. That's kind of interesting, right? First of all, a dress code inside a theme park is challenging. They're essentially yeah. betting on people coming back into the park just for dinner. Mm-hmm. And that limits guests to those with just park hoppers mm-hmm. or those who have been to Epcot early in the day and who want to pay over $200 per person to eat in a theme park. That's a that's a big bet. Yeah, that's also a tiny, tiny subset of people. But okay, there's a part of me that wants to show up at 9 o'clock in the morning and get a suit and tie and then just march around the park. <laughs> Just to show the, uh, up, I'm here for my eight o'clock reservation. It's like, yeah, put me by a window. I wonder if you could if you could do the Dick Nunes uh, suit and Bermuda short outfit. Oh, would that count? I'd love that. I know. Bring... Now, now we all have ideas. <laughs> no, that that would be perfect. I would actually bring my copy of Walter Prentice with me. Get you know, it when they challenge me. Hey, 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 Dick Nunes. Mr. Nunes. Exactly, exactly. Because he was wearing he was wearing a suit jacket, vest, shirt, tie. Bermuda shorts and calf length white socks. Yeah. And it didn't it, it didn't look bad. Th- right? No, it didn't. But Nunes tried so hard to get this adopted as summer wear at the resort and people It was this thing. Yeah, yeah. Get they just resisted. It was like just I, I think it's a lot of guys with pasty white legs are like, no, not doing this. No. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I mean, I tried when we were on the when we did the Disney dish and the Disney wish cruise, mm-hmm. I was wearing a jacket and dress shirt and shorts and I was dying. It was hot. Yeah, but look uh, so good I can't on imagine you, doing that. I mean, in, you know, you know, just know. That, that that phosphorescent red jacket, you know, just mm. <laughs> I didn't tell you this, but afterwards I uh, so I came home and had to prep for the the hurricane which was coming mm-hmm. up so i actually didn't launder that jacket for a week oh. jim and when i came back it had evolved its own ecosystem which is a whole separate show that we should talk about <laughs> but i don't i don't the laundry bill for uh dick nunes inspired wardrobe in walt disney world would have to be incredible oh, anyway yes other uh, other stuff returning jim acres royal banquet hall Returns to operation at Epcot's Norway Pavilion starting November 4th, so next mm. week. I hear the hours are like late lunch and dinner only right now, mm-hmm. which is probably due to a princess shortage. Also, this is interesting because if you look at this, yep. Disney seems to be moving away from in-park breakfast options. Mm-hmm. If you look at Beer Guest, Beer Guest, I think, starts serving lunch now at 10 a.m., mm-hmm. and that's a fixed price menu. So it's a way of increasing revenue at those popular locations. So I think if more dining comes back to Acres Juice, I don't think they'll be serving breakfast unless it's the fixed price breakfast buffet or they'll just start lunch at 10 o'clock. Wow. Um, a quick question. Over at the mm-hmm. Crystal Palace, the, the mm-hmm. is the, the, the Winnie the Pooh thing, is that doing breakfast? Let me see. Uh, no. So, uh, I know it, uh, it starts with lunch. Mm-hmm. So not breakfast yet. Wow. Actually, I take that. I take that back. Breakfast is supposed to start tomorrow. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, okay. So that better, might, again, better. that might just be a shortage of things. Okay. But I wonder. I wonder if breakfast will be eight a.m. That's super interesting. All right. So we'll have to see what happens there. Okay. Okay. Also, uh, Jim, uh, a bit of personal news. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know that we both love the Disney theme parks, no matter how much we criticize them. Mm-hmm. And I don't want the criticism thing to bring everybody down. That's not a show worth listening to. Mm-hmm. So for the rest of the year, Jim, starting with our October thirty first show, mm-hmm. I'm going to say nothing but positive things about the Walt Disney Company for the rest of the year. 
Oops. And Jim, that means that if news comes out that Bob Chapek is employing eight-year-olds to run plastic extrusion equipment in his basement to manufacture cheap popcorn buckets for annual pass holders, why, that's just Disney executives training this country's future workforce on valuable life skills and the benefits of hard work. It's like their own little version of junior achievement, Jim. That's how I'm going to approach this from now on. Well, <laughs> I am looking forward to weeks and weeks of contortion here. <laughs> All right. Uh, last thing, our friends at uh, WDWMagic.com have reported that due to a shortage of characters, Disney will be cutting back character greetings across property starting this Wednesday, October 26th. For those of you playing along at home, it's not a labor shortage of talents. There's a shortage of talent willing to work for below market pay. Mm -hmm. Anyway, character greetings impacted so far include Minnie Mouse, both at uh, the Epcot International Gateway and the Town Square Theater. Also, Donald, Daisy, and Max at Disney's Hollywood Studios. Jim, the positive spin on this news is that it's going to make the remaining character greetings that much more magical for guests who are able to experience them. And don't we all love magic, Jim? <laughs> you oh, see where this, this is going to go for the next an interesting months. couple of weeks, Len. <laughs> <laughs> and here's what inspired this, Jim. Okay. Uh, we're talking about surveys. So my friend Justin just sent in a Disney Cruise Line survey, which we'll get to in the, in the next show. Mm -hmm. But he pointed out that the phrasing of some of the questions on that survey we're not exactly neutral. Mm -hmm. And this led Justin to come up with his own survey question about rise of the resistance downtime. I will now read to you Justin's survey question. Mm -hmm. Rate how strongly you agree or disagree with the following statements. When Star Wars Rise of the Resistance is closed unexpectedly, I feel like Disney is prioritizing guest safety and ensuring a high quality experience. I feel a heightened sense of achievement when I'm able to experience Rise of the Resistance that wouldn't be possible if the attraction was operating continuously. <laughs> <laughs> because Star Wars Rise of the Resistance spans three action-packed stages of immersive adventure, I am simply impressed by however many showings are available each day. <laughs> oh, that number two response, Justin. That, that, ooh, ooh, chef's kiss. That's going to just, ooh. Again, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this for the rest of the year. We'll see what happens. It's okay. going to be great. <laughs> All right. Uh, speaking of surveys, uh, Heather sent in a new Universal Orlando survey mm -hmm. with a couple of interesting questions. And Jim, I, I think you'll appreciate this. Next, would like to know a little bit about any past and future visits to Universal Orlando, as well as other Orlando area theme parks. Mm -hmm. When was your most recent visit to the Universal Orlando theme parks? And the options are within the past six months, seven to 11 months ago, one to two years, three to five years, six to 10 years more than 10 years ago, or I've never visited. And the interesting thing is, the next question is, mm -hmm. when was your most recent visit to Walt Disney World with the same options? Mm -hmm. And then the most interesting question was, mm -hmm. when do you next intend to visit both Walt Disney World and Universal Orlando? Ooh. Haven't seen that question before, have you, Jim? No, no. And I am just fascinated by what Universal Orlando is up to these days. And something like this, we're just going to, and when are you next going to the mouse? When did you last go to the mouse? I mean, they, right. there's something in the wings, Lynn. And again, yeah. I think previously you were looking at earlier surveys. I get the feeling there's a marketing campaign coming that Disney is not going to like. That's what I think. Well, I think the other thing is, is, um, I haven't seen it yet, but there was a release of the Themed Entertainment Association AECOM report mm -hmm. uh, numbers for 2021. And normally this comes out in like June, mm -hmm. but, you know, pandemic and all of that. 
But it looked like, and I, I, haven't go, I have to go back and read the numbers in detail, mm -hmm. it looked like both of Universal's Orlando theme parks mm -hmm. skipped over three of the four Disney theme parks in Orlando as far as U.S. attendance. So the Magic Kingdom is still the number one park with like oh, you know, 12.7 million mm -hmm. visitors. But Universal Islands of Adventure was next, mm -hmm. and then Universal Studios Florida. So that they skipped over the studios Epcot and Animal Kingdom. And that's wow. never happened before. Holy cow. Yeah. And some of that is, you know, how I, I think Universal um, ramped up its attendance in 2021 faster mm -hmm. than Disney did during the pandemic. But, mm -hmm. you know, if Universal's Islands of Adventure was at like 9.1 million guests mm -hmm. and, and Animal Kingdom was at like 7.2, right? Mm -hmm. So for a difference of 1.9 million, that's you can't explain all of that away by the ramp up in attendance. Right, that's just popularity there. No. Same thing with Universal Studios Florida at nine million. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's a that's a gap of one point eight million versus Animal Kingdom. I think objectively, you can say that both of those parks are more popular, both the Animal Kingdom and Epcot. Wow, Again, that's I, super interesting. Absolutely, but you, you got to wonder how much of that is the one-two punch of you know, for example, for Islands getting what was it, Hagrid's, and then Velocicoaster you know, up and yeah, running, which is a great and, coaster. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Also, it was more available, and it goes back to remember the the survey questions that we had seen uh, a couple of weeks ago about the hassle involved in yes. planning that Universal was asking. If you have to make park reservations, and you mm. went through this last week, right? We we mm. talked about this on the uh, on the last show, and the park reservation system doesn't work, mm. right? But Universal lets everybody in. That's a different experience, right? It is. And I point that out, saying that it's October. We're recording this on October twentieth, mm -hmm. and there are already no park reservations available for Christmas at some Disney World parks. Isn't there supposedly a Disney executive meeting, a retreat that's being held on property even as we speak? Yeah, right uh, this week, yeah, in Walt Disney World, yeah. I just hope to God they get out of that tiny little conference room or more to the point that they don't just take the van to backstage at Epcot and walk in the back door at, at Guardians. It, it's time for these guys to actually get back in the guest shoes and really yep. experience what people are going through. Because I, I think they don't know what's going on. No, they don't. Yeah, no idea. It's funny you mentioned that because I got a uh, call today from a friend of mine who, um, who was meeting some friends who had booked a hotel stay at a Disney Springs resort. Mm -hmm. So like the Wyndham or something like that. And those guests that stay at those hotels get the early theme park entry privilege at the Walt Disney World Resorts. It's one of the things that they've extended to the good neighbor hotels. Mm -hmm. And so I get this question today at like 8.30 and it was like, how do these people demonstrate to the Disney cast members at the parks that they are staying at one of these hotels? Mm -hmm. Because these people did not sign up for My Disney Experience. They simply bought tickets or you know, receive tickets in a plastic card mm -hmm. so they don't have MDE accounts. And the number of questions that we had, the number of people I had to ask mm -hmm. to get that question answered, at least in a vague way, was mm -hmm. astounding. So like I had thought mm -hmm. you would just show up and use your room key, show your room key. But of course, you can't scan the room key. Mm -hmm. Room keys can be reused and Disney's not going to let that happen, right? So the answer that we came up with was all of these people would have to create my Disney experience accounts and then link their existing reservations for these hotels before they could, and then link the ticket before they could enter the park. And then we pointed out that, well, they had to do this anyway because mm -hmm. they had to make park reservations and you can't do that with a My Disney Experience account. And you can't do things like mobile order food without a My Disney Experience account either. 
and so there's this you know this multi-step process that I was walking somebody through. Like, mm-hmm. let me know how this works out. Good luck. And I wasn't mm-hmm. even sure it was possible to link those accounts. I know you could do it for like the Swan and Dolphin reservations, but like for the did Disney's IT department really go through the the process of linking in reservation systems for all the Disney Springs hotels? Like, like that's a 50-50 proposition for me. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I'll, I'll let you know next week how that turns out. <laughs> okay, yeah. I just feel like any moment when, you know, somebody is on vacation and they ask you a question and you, without even thinking, you reach for the whiteboard. <laughs> exactly, exactly. How much time do you have for this answer? Yeah. yeah. All right, on to listener questions. Here's one from Krista who says, uh, we visited Epcot twice during our recent visit to Walt Disney World. In the Appleseed Orchard booth, they advertised and had for sale a reusable corksicle mini pint glass on the sign outside the Canada Pavilion. It said something like, be sustainable and get this cup to reuse throughout the festival. When we passed the first time, we had only recently arrived, so I thought I could buy this glass at many booths. But after much looking, we found we could only buy it at Appleseed Orchard. We paid $32, not including cider for the cup, because it's a good souvenir. And as good Oregonians, Mm -hmm. we like to minimize our single-use plastic use. So we were very disappointed to find that the vast majority of locations wouldn't let us use our cups for drinks. They said it was for sanitary reasons, which I've heard before and understand, but they advertised it as sustainability measures and then wouldn't let us use it for that reason. The only place that let us use it was the Fry Booth, which didn't use it to make our cocktail, but for various reasons, we think that that was a cast member decision and not following policy. Mm -hmm. We'd love to hear your thoughts on how this disconnect happens. Why would one festival booth be advertising for something like this that couldn't be used at other booths? So we Mm -hmm. we sent someone into the parks to read the fine print on the Corksicle sign. And here's what Mm -hmm. the sign says. Sip in style throughout and long after the Epcot International Food and Wine Festival with the purchase of a reusable Corksicle stemless flute. So I see Krista's point about the words sip in style throughout, you know, the Epcot Food and Wine Festival. Mm-hmm. I'd read that, and I also think it could be used at the food booths, right, if I read that. Mm-hmm. But there's nothing that explicitly says that. So Disney's reasoning could be, uh, you know, hey, you can fill this up with water at your hotel and sip from it in style as you walk around World Showcase, right? So I, it's vague, right? Mm-hmm. It would be less confusing to guess like Krista if Disney added a line at the end saying, cannot be used to fill drinks at food and wine booths or other dining locations in Walt Disney World theme parks for sanitary reasons, right? Yeah. I see Krista's point here. I think that could be uh, better clarified. Yeah, uh, she's not wrong. Not wrong. Right, good to know. All right, from Patrick, in episode 390, readers discussed the problem of dining reservation hoarding and possible solutions. I thought I'd throw out the idea of randomizing the re-entry of those reservations into the pool of availability as a solution. Current hoarding strategies rely on the timing of one user canceling a reservation while nearly concurrently another user then books the reservation, essentially transferring it. If you introduce something to disrupt that sequence, even slightly, it would reduce the predictability of that strategy. Essentially, if Disney implemented some type of queuing mechanism when a reservation is canceled that randomizes the timing in which the inventory was reintroduced into the system, say randomly between two and 60 minutes from now, that could thwart these types of hoarding schemes. It's not bulletproof. But it could be relatively easy to implement, and it doesn't complicate the reservation process or charge a fee, and it makes gaming the system more difficult. So I like this idea, actually. I think it's pretty interesting from Brad. Mm -hmm. Yeah, number one, because it seems relatively simple to implement. Like, you could put canceled reservations on a queue. Mm -hmm. You could pull them back from the queue at random times between 2 and 60 minutes, like he says, and that doesn't seem to affect other users uh, too much. Mm -hmm. The other option I thought about would be providing a certain number, like three, Mm-hmm. Uh, of reservation cancellations per month. 
before charging a credit card. So Disney does this right now, Jim, with um, with Ooh. park reservation cancellation, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. You can cancel up to three, and then then you're prohibited from making more. Mm-hmm. They could do the same thing, right, for dining reservations. It'd be more complicated to implement, uh, so Disney's unlikely to do it because it wouldn't generate revenue, um, but it would prevent uh, exactly this scenario. So, yeah, there's a couple of options. That's yeah, good. Good news. All right. An email from Chris who says, in the latest episode, y'all asked where the Boba Fett and Fennec Shand were showing up in Disneyland's Galaxy's Edge. Our family was there in late August, and we saw them both on separate days in the space between the Marketplace area and Rise of the Resistance. The Fennec was great, too. Thanks for an awesome podcast. All right, that's interesting. So Disneyland's got more characters right now, right? Yeah, but Brady McDonald of the Orange County Register uh, interviewed Scott Trowbridge earlier mm-hmm. this year about this very thing, about you know these folks coming in. And the problem, of course, being that the bulk of Galaxy's Edge is themed specifically for this space between The Last Jedi and uh, The Rise of Skywalker. And yeah. their solution was... To create, according to Scott, what they call story bubbles. So, for example, the very area that that Chris is referring to here, the the space between the marketplace and the rise of resistance, is the Book of Boba Fett story bubble. And Mm -hmm. supposedly the rules have been handed out to the other performers working the park, the Ray, the Kylo Ren, the Chewbacca, that you cannot enter this area. You know, it's like the Ghostbuster. You cannot cross the streams. (laughs) I'm going to be fascinated come November when the Mandalorian and Grogu come into uh, Disneyland's version of of Black Spire Outpost. And it's like, okay, where's their bubble? Because I I think they're actually in the the Switzerland equivalent of this. Yeah. 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 So it's like, okay, you can hang out with with Boba Fett and Fennec Shan, but if Kylo comes, you got to run into Ogres, get a table, hide down. (laughs) (laughs) They have an escape plan that's documented. (laughs) There we go. There we go. But I like this idea of breaking Galaxy's Edge up into areas in which each part of the trilogy or the the series can exist on our last show didn't what, yeah I, it was a I, great I, idea yeah I, I, I mean seriously somebody in imagineering has to take that and run with it because it's just when you look at what they're doing on the avengers campus i mean for example last right. week the day that werewolf by night debuted on disney plus they had yeah. a werewolf figure stalking get across the rooftops of avengers campus and they have been so on point about getting the characters from each of the new, you know, whether it's the films or the limited series and getting them in the parks. And, you know, yeah. on the other hand, it's like, hello, I'm Kylo Ren and here are my two stormtroopers. Go get some blue milk. <laughs> no, I think uh, it, uh, on our last show, it was Derek who suggested mm. this idea there we go. of there we go. Thank uh, you again, Derek. The, Great idea. The yeah, fantastic idea. I would be absolutely fine if uh, if Disney did it. And I'm not... I'm saying that, you know, I we preach about the importance of theme and continuity, you know, in the parks. This would be one of those areas where I could sort of squint my eyes mm-hmm. and and be okay with it. Yeah. Right? Just because with the land is already built and now we have to retrofit it in, so we're retconning. Mm-hmm. But I think it would it would make the experience better for guests oh, if absolutely. we had things like Darth Vader mm-hmm. and Luke Skywalker and yeah. Han Solo in Galaxy's Edge. Given the prices Disney is charging these days, give the public yeah. what it wants. Okay, a little Darth Vader. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, it's like you know, for all the for all the contortions that they put themselves into to justify price increases and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Like, 
continuity of Galaxy's Edge is the is the hill they're going to die on seems a little weird. I do want to point that there's a Bavarian castle at the end of Main Street. All right. You know, just- <laughs> <laughs> Different theme park, Jim. <laughs> All right. Last uh, reader email from Jeanette. Uh, and this is related to the uh, the Magic Band QR code uh, on the cardboard boxes that we reported on a couple of weeks ago where they linked to vacuum cleaner parts. And Jeanette writes in and says, I've worked in pharmaceutical packaging and labeling for over 15 years. The idea that QR codes leads to the wrong web page is intriguing and quite frightening to me. Mm-hmm. It's literally part of my job to make sure that doesn't happen. Of course, not being able to charge your magic bands probably isn't life-threatening where taking your medications incorrectly can be. Mm-hmm. I've always wondered if my skills here could ever be transferred to working at Disney, and you have restored my hope. <laughs> That's us, Jim. Good for we you, have restored hope. Apply today, all right? Are you competent? Yes, you're hired. Excellent. <laughs> Has anyone ever died from your QR labeling? No? Okay, great. How's Monday for you to start? Monday? Monday good? Great. All right, folks, we're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, Jim finishes up the story of the disastrous first redo of Epcot's Journey into Imagination, which happened in 1999. We'll be right back. Now a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp. Do you remember the sorts of problems you were asked to solve back when you were in school? X plus Y equals Z. Well, who could have dreamed, once you became an adult, that you'd be facing problems that were far tougher to solve than algebra? Things like, how do I get out of my own way? I faced a similar sort of challenge right after my divorce, when when my ex took our then-infant daughter and moved 6,000 miles away. There's no other way to say it, folks. I was a wreck. Mind you, it all worked out in the end, in large part because... I was smart enough to listen to the advice of friends and family and then got into therapy, which was where I then learned the skills to, well, be less stressed, become more confident, realize that there were brighter days ahead. I honestly have to say there is no better feeling when you finally learn how to find the solutions to your own problems. And and talking to a therapist can help you acquire just those sorts of problem-solving skills. So if you find yourself in a similar sort of situation, if life's gotten to be a little overwhelming, well, why not give BetterHelp a try? BetterHelp is convenient, accessible, affordable, and entirely online. And you can get matched with a therapist after filling out a brief survey and switch therapists at any time. Look, if you want to be a better problem solver, therapy can get you there. Visit BetterHelp.com slash DisneyDish today to get 10% off your first month. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash Disney Dish. We thank them for sponsoring today's show. Tonight, only on Disney Plus. My name is Taylor. Welcome to the Eras Tour. Experience Taylor Swift's record-breaking Eras Tour. Swift, the Eras Tour, Taylor's version, with four additional acoustic songs. Streaming tonight, only on Disney+. Plus. In part two, where we left off, Journey into Your Imagination, mm-hmm. the disastrous yep. redo of the original ride, closed October 8th, 2001. It had a two-year and one-week run, which I believe is, what, 24 Scaramucci's? No, how many <laughs> Scaramucci's is that? 
it's like 48 Scaramucci's. I can't, I can't convert between uh, metric and Imperial. There we go. Mm -hmm. And then, so, so Disney needed to rescue this thing, right? It was, it was so bad Mm -hmm. that the the ride closed after two years in a a week. Mm -hmm. What did they do? They turned to Imagineer David Mumford, who was literally handed the assignment to save this future world pavilion. And uh, excellent choice because Dave was a Disney lifer. I mean, literally his first gig of the company. As a teenager, he was a ride operator of the submarine voyage at Disneyland Park starting in 74. And then he began his career at Imagineering as part of the all-hands-on-deck effort with Epcot. I mean, he started his 23-year-long career at Imagineering in 79 when he was brought in to be a show set draftsman on the land pavilion for Epcot. Okay, so he has some, some familiarity with the uh, with Epcot then. Okay, cool. Yeah, but David loved to tell the story about when he decided to become an Imagineer, and it just it, it he was literally sitting at, at home. It, he would have been seven years old, and he's okay. watching the wonderful world of color, and specifically, it's the episode Disney at the Fair. Oh, the World's Fair episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there's this moment in the show land when they're showing the dinosaurs that are are going into the Magic Skyway exhibit that that Ford is doing. And this amazing transition where somebody holds up a piece of construction paper that somebody has has drawn on with uh, pastels of this scene with a family of brontosauruses in water eating vegetables. And then they pull it down and they're behind them is the actual animatronics being built for the show. And seven-year-old David is, oh my God, that's the job I want. You build dinosaurs. So we now jump ahead to 1979. And and David, you know, is there for his orientation tour at, at Imagineering. And they okay. walk him into fabrication. And there on the floor, they're building the brontosauruses that go into the universe of energy pavilion. He literally at that moment achieved his childhood dream. I'm working at the place that builds dinosaurs. And he, and he talked about how the guy who's leading him around the building, are, are you okay? <laughs> Why are you crying? And it's like, I'm sorry, give me a moment a here. People cry <laughs> you know, first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, a- and David just hits the ground running. And so, you know, he mm-hmm. goes from uh, quickly from being a show uh, set draftsman on the land to he uh, is instrumental part of the team for the Alice in Wonderland redo for Disneyland that opens in 84. Likewise, he's really into the Epcot DNA. He, he's working on the Living Seas at Epcot, which opened in January of 86. But at the same time, he's helping to bring Disney quality shows overseas. He does the Cinderella Castle Mystery Tour for Tokyo Disney, opens July of 86. Oh, yes. Likewise, he works on the Star Tours for Tokyo Disneyland, which opens in July of 89. So he's a great choice to try to fix Journey into Imagination. The problem is, just like we mentioned on the last show, there's still, it's a severe cash crunch. If anything, codex problems related to the, the rise of digital photography, that sort of thing, have gotten worse. Yeah. And we're in a recession after 9-11. Yeah, 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 yeah. So okay. there's just not a lot of arrows in this quill. So David has to make smart choices. And step one is people want the Dreamfinder and Figment back in this attraction. And there is just not any money to bring back the Dreamfinder uh, figures. You know, the, these very the sophisticated. Because they're expensive, right? And, they're, and the reason why they took them out was because they were expensive to maintain. There we okay, go. Okay, fair. A lot of this is just timing stuff. Like... 
if 9-11 hadn't happened, yeah. they might have had more money for more figures. This is really interesting. That was especially challenging for David because it's like, I don't have money for Dreamfinder, but I can bring some figments back. And, and luckily, all of the mm. figment AA figures that are pulled out of the show were in storage. But as David's oh. reviewing them, they're all very simple figures. They're all set up to be doing like just one gag at individual turns in sure. the original ride path. Because there were more of them and, you know, you, you put a bunch of like single purpose things together and it looks like it's doing more things. Okay. All right. Makes sense. He realizes, okay, so I, I need to put Figment in the show and what if I got to work with? And it's like, thank God the show had in the queue all of those video screens over the queue where Eric Idle previously appeared. So it's like, I can redo, I can refilm all of these segments again with Eric Idle, only now I'll have him interacting with Figment right from the get-go. So it's like reminding people who are in line, hey, you're going to see Figment inside of this attraction. What he's not revealing, though, is Figment is largely going to be on screen, that we will get the leftover animatronic figures again in the grand finale of the ride. But most of the time you see Figment in this this attraction, he's going to be the CG version of, of Figment. Okay. Another challenge that David faced down is Billy Barty, the, the actor who had previously voiced Figment. Uh, he'd passed away in December of 2000 at the age of 76. And who is someone who can voice sort of sound like Billy Barty's so I can get that same energy and uh, weird kind of coincidence, this is when Disney, after letting the Muppets slip through their fingers in 1990, the Muppets, once again, are, are within reach. In fact, Disney will finish finally acquiring the Muppets in February of 2004. But discussions have opened, and David takes advantage of this moment to reach out to Dave Goles, who is the guy who voices, not only voices, but performs Gonzo the Great. And it's like, hey, how would you like to be Figment? And Dave was flattered and, and agreed to the gig. So, you know, at the, the very end of the tra the attraction where we previously had had, you know, you, you're still doing the whole, you know, we're testing your senses. We scan your brain at the beginning. We scan your brain at the end. Only we have Figment in the middle doing his skunk impression and, and, and things like that. But sure. at the moment, we, at the end, where supposedly the machine reacts as, oh, your, your brain is full, You're, you have a great imagination now. David used this moment to pull every single figment animatronic that he could find and stage this grand scene of, I, I want to say there's 15 different figments in, in various different poses. And those are all from the original show. These the are original, all from uh, the original show. Wow, impressive. It's sort of like going through Monsters, Inc., Mike and Sully to the rescue at, at California Adventure and trying to decide which members of the CDC. It's like, okay, that's Drew Carey and that's Jackie Chan. <laughs> so, so there's 15 of these in the big finale scene, and each of them is doing one one or two movements, like each of them is doing I, a Some of them aren't moving at all. Oh. For example, there was this the, the famous figment from uh, the ride who's literally holding the book full of scary stories closed, and it's just sort of like, all that figure used to do is just sort of rock back and forth as if it's straining to hold the book closed. And that's up there on the wall, and figment hitching the ride to go into the science scene, he's up there as well. I mean... Mm. David did what he could with these things. And we finally get the attraction open 
in January of 2002, uh, and now, of course, to underline, circle, and dent that, all right, we're giving you what you want. The ride is renamed Journey into Imagination with Figment. Sadly, three months prior to the opening of the attraction, Dave was sent home. And uh, it wasn't because of anything he did. In fact, Imagineering had basically had to order him home because he was having health issues at that oh. point. And they turned out to be pretty serious health issues because we lost Dave just one year later, uh, January 20th, to, uh, 2003, uh, at the age of 46. And this was due to complications related to non-Hodgkin's uh, lymphoma. Mm. He was a great guy who lived and breathed Disney has said, and not only that made it. And and so the fact that we have the journey into imagination with figment we have today that gets us partially back to where we wanted to be with that ride. That's all David. And he's the one who, who oh, figured out like how to do this with no money and little time. And, you know, I still miss the guy. But And not the only one who misses David Mumford, or, or for that matter, who, who recognizes the Herculean effort that this Imagineer put in to try to save this future world pavilion, uh, turn journey into your imagination back into something that guests who previously fallen in love with DreamFind could, could once again enjoy. Uh, this is why Richard Sherman, who's one half of the Sherman Brothers' songwriting team, goes out of his way to attend David Mumford's memorial service, where in, in recognition of all of David's efforts to, to bring Figment back to life, Richard gets up, goes on stage, and then plays One Little Spark for everyone who's in attendance at, at Mumford's memorial service. And Honestly, I think this was the only time ever that this happy, very upbeat tune ever made people cry. But now, you know, Disney realizes that, okay, people really do, in fact, like this character. So we get some strange moments. I mean, do you remember Figzilla? No, what was this? This was the walk-around version of Figment, but instead of being carried around in, in the Dreamfinder's arm, he's a six-foot-nine walk-around character. Holy cow, no. Well, this is what happens when you slip steroids into the, that bowl of figment chow. <laughs> That's got to be terrifying. I mean, you could be, but, but also probably very funny. Well, it, it led for some very interesting reactions. They created a meet and greet space right next to the, it, it, it was in uh, the retail space for the Journey into Imagination Pavilion. And you could go in there and get your picture taken with, with Figment in front of a, a rainbow background. And there were a lot of little kids who, you know, oh boy, I'm going in to see, ah, what <laughs> happened? He was cute and little on the ride. Likewise, in the late 2000s, there was a lot of talk at Imagineering, because people, they were still getting the comments. It's like, okay, it's great to see Figment. Where's the Dreamfinder? So they talked about, for a time, replacing the Honey, I Shrunk the Audience movie with a brand new 3D film. This one would feature the Dreamfinder as a character in the film, mm. but we need a celebrity in this show. So there was one version of it where Jack Black played the Dreamfinder, and then there was a, another version of the scenario where Jack Black played the Dreamfinder's son and who had basically been given the keys to the image works and things go horribly wrong. That idea 
gets tabled in June of 2009 when, when Michael Jackson passes away. And for a time, Disney sees an opportunity to bring back Captain EO. Uh, in fact, uh, just uh, literally a year after we lost Michael Jackson, June of 2010, Captain EO comes back to Epcot and comes back to Disneyland. But of course, before that happens, it's December of '09, and that's when Disney buys Marvel and there is all of this talk about not only will the Marvel characters come into the Disney theme parks, but it's also, well, what can Marvel Comics do with the Disney characters? And in 2014, they launched the Figment comic book series, which is kind of an origin story for the Dreamfinder. There were two separate runs of this book, and they've uh, both have since been collected in trade paperbacks, but you get to see the moment where the Dreamfinder actually dreams up Figment. You get to see him do battle against the forces that, that are challenging imagination. I mean, it's a, it's a really interesting kind of a thing. But a hardcover of that comes out in 2015. And this is just around the same time that Pixar's Inside Out arrives in theaters. Right. And have you ever seen the, the Figment cameo in, in that film? I can't remember where it is, but I think I, I think I have. Where was it? I want to say the character Bing Bong that Richard Kind voices in that film is showing right. joy and sadness around the childhood memories of a little girl who's who's running away. And they pass a train car that's being loaded up, and sure enough, there's an actual painting of Figment in there. Okay, uh, I, I do remember. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and at the same time, the Imagineers and and that sort of thing are always looking for places to bring in the Dreamfinder. In fact, it, it was only there for a while, but. If you went to the Skipper Cantina, they had sort of a series of announcements that would play in the restaurant. And yep. you were in there a bunch of times uh, at the Skipper Cantina. Did you ever hear the announcement about the gentleman with the beard and the top hat who was looking for a place to park his flying machine? <laughs> you know, I didn't get the reference then. I thought it was... Uh... I thought it was a reference to like a top of the world thing or something, but it's figment. That's funny. Yeah, yeah it, it was kind of cool. So uh, jumping ahead to June of uh, 2018, and Pete Doctor has replaced John Lasseter as the creative head at Pixar, which also means that he's WDI's liaison. And the Imagineers think, ooh, we have a new boss. So let's yeah. pitch something to the new boss that he would get behind. And so... They come up with a plan to replace the 3D movie, which, which, by the way, at this point, the 3D theater at Imagination is now just showing the Pixar shorts. Which I do not think is a great addition to the park. Nobody's paying $160 a day to get in and see that. Doesn't yeah, make any sense. Yeah. I mean, but again, you know, the, the notion is let's put a new 3D movie in there and let's build this around Mr. Doctor's most recent film, which uh, at that point was Inside Out. They bring Pete over to the 420 Flower Street. They sit him down. They show the whole pitch board for the, the, not only the 3D movie, but they also show him, you know, it's like, well, what if we went with the whole pavilion themed around Inside right. Out? And Pete literally shuts him down. It's like, well, no, you can't do that. That's where Figment and the Dreamfinder live. Oh, wow. Because <laughs> so, wow. that's the thing. Pete is, is a Disney theme park diehard. I mean, I, I, told, this, I told the story about how when, uh, when my friend Chris Hammond and I went, to, who's also a, a listener, went to, uh, went to Pixar and he did his talk on, you know, Monsanto and Disney, uh, the mm -hmm. history of the theme parks. I mean, the number, of, the number of Pixar employees there who are huge Disney theme park nerds is oh, astounding. Yeah. Like, and, no. and and that was just the people who came to Chris's talk. I mean, people obviously had you know things to do that day because it was mm -hmm. 
it was business. But if you told me like three quarters of the people who work at Pixar mm-hmm. were huge Disney theme park fans, that my number might actually be low. <laughs> so yeah, I, I, I totally get it. Yeah, yeah. Pete definitely drinks the Kool-Aid. I, I remember yeah. Pete was the, the guy who insisted on, for example, on the Indiana Jones adventure at Disneyland. The thing that excited him the most is, I got into the maintenance bay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We are 20 years past. 20 years into Revision 3, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and and yet Figment, even today with with this, not quite what it was back in the day when this thing debuted in 83, but still, you know, people clearly have affection for this character. I mean, just look at the lines back in February of this year for, you know, the people who stood in line for hours to get a Figment popcorn bucket, which... Now brings us to uh, the news that broke on September 30th, where Seth Rogen's Point Grey Productions uh, has teamed up with uh, Pokemon Detective Pikachu, Dan Hernandez, and Benji Samet, those the gentlemen who wrote that film. They are working on a Figment film. This has not been Greenland. Disney is asking for a script, but evidently the pitch that Seth and Dan and Benji made to the company, very intrigued. And certainly given how much Figment merch, and if you think about how prominently that character was featured in the 40th anniversary merch that, that just came out earlier this month. Yeah. It's basically the face of Epcot now. Yeah. No, that's it exactly. Yeah. And it, it just the feeling is... Especially now with Disney Plus, if we can use all the content we can get, there we go. <laughs> and and but something like this, where it's like, and that could be its home. That you know, a worst case scenario, that's where it'll end up. But you know, there's a possibility it could also get a theatrical release. So, you know, again, we can always hope against hope that if this is a hugely successful film, wasn't it supposed to be for the? the 50th anniversary that there was going to be the $250 million redo of the Journey into Imagination yeah. Pavilion. Yeah, which would uh, bring back some of the old track. and uh, Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. Now, mind you, this plan was put in the works in 2017. That's an entirely different Disney management team in place. So, but, yeah. but and $250 million is a lot of money. I mean, yeah. that would basically make it a, that would make it a, uh, a headliner pavilion. Oh, yeah. In, in Epcot. But it was a total... Redo of the pavilion with, with the notion to bring back the ride and bring back, you know, and do a new 3D movie, but have not heard anything about that plan in years. Yeah, I mean, they're not that they're not going to they're not going to spend that kind of money now yeah. on something on something like that. I mean, yeah. the fact that we're the fact that we're getting the uh, the DuckTales World Showcase Adventure mm-hmm. is uh, surprising to me. So something that and that does not cost two hundred fifty million dollars. So yeah. something like this. I mean, they're, look, they're basically looking at that and saying, for $250 million, we can probably greenlight five pilots on Disney+. Plus. What's better for the bottom line? And it's the pilots. You look at something like Tron Light Cycle, which, again, went into the most po- already popular park at Walt Disney World. Yeah. And, and it also, again, not to be mean here, because they, they clearly are making a huge reinvestment in Epcot. You know, we're seeing it happen in real time. But mm-hmm. it's just sort of like, before the very next time they touch the Haunted Mansion or Pirates of the Caribbean, can Disney please spend some money on updating Journey into Imagination with Figment? I'm just saying. I mean, don't get me wrong. Love the Hatbox <laughs> Ghost, but how many times do we plus the mansion, you know, over this period where Journey into Imagination with Figment has just been lying there? 
this is my thing, right? I mean, we haven't had a significant update to World Showcase attractions, some World Showcase attractions in 40 years, right? The front half of Epcot is still a disaster mm-hmm. and unfinished, even, even when it reopens next year. We'll still be, um, they'll still have development issues, yeah. right? Yeah. Animal Kingdom has, what, six attractions? Mm-hmm. You know, what happens when one of those goes down? I mean, Hollywood Studios still needs more dining, still needs more attractions. There's, you know, we don't need to keep plussing up or, or spending time or money or creative energy on adding something to Jungle Cruise or Haunted mm-hmm. Mansion or Pirates. That's just not where the focus should be. Because more magic, Jim, in other parts of the park there we is go. really where <laughs> Okay. Positive spin. Positive and spin. we circle around to the positive thing. Yes. Okay. So many opportunities to employ even more magic <laughs> across the Walt Disney World Resort. And I'm looking forward to that, Jim. I really. <laughs> You stuck Thank the you. landing, Len. I, nice I, call back. Nice call back. By the way, uh, uh, speaking uh, speaking of, of TV shows, have you seen, uh, are you watching Reboot, the TV show Reboot? I do not think I am. It's on Hulu, and it's mm-hmm. um, it's got Paul Reiser uh, and a bunch of other oh, people. Oh, I have heard of this. Oh, my God. Yes. It's the, so funny. Got to watch know, it. I, I, yes. The, the, the sort of behind the scenes on like Fuller House or, or that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. So it's, a, it's, a, it's like uh, the show, Beloved kid show like um full house uh comes back so from the early 2000s they bring the original cast back 20 years later and mm-hmm. but there there's a new set of writers who has to work with the old set of writers and they're trying to make it more modern it's just it's very funny it's a great dialogue definitely no, I, I, i've heard this is actually from the <laughs> modern family people and, and people are just raving about it it's like oh cool. very but, funny the, the other yeah. show that i've been watching you know laurel and i are still trying to get through the love boat but we're in the middle of season season seven right now mm-hmm. and it's just every episode's terrible. You can tell like it's on its last <laughs> legs. So we need sort of like a palate cleanser before we go to bed. There we um, go. And the other show we're watching is the CBS show Ghosts. Have oh, no, no. Nancy absolutely loves Ghosts. And I, I, I have seen enough episodes passing through rooms that that's a very clever, very fun show. Yeah, very uh, very good writing in it too. Um, uh, and uh, and really good character development. So those are, the, those are the shows that I've been watching too. Just a little, little throw in there. All right, folks, that's going to do it for the show today. You can help support our show and Jim Hill Media by subscribing over at DisneyDish.Bandcamp.com, where you'll find exclusive shows never before heard on iTunes. We've got a bunch of new Bandcamp exclusives available, including the one we recorded on the Disney Wish on the history of Disney's Pirates of the Caribbean, and we just recorded part two of our History of Cars Land show. Next week's show, Jim will give us the history of Disney's Pop Century Resort, which announced its opening around this time back in 2001. You can find more of Jim at jimhillmedia.com and more of me, Len, at touringplans.com. We're produced fabulously by Aaron Adams, who will be selling Abuelita Adams' signature tamale recipe at Village Fest every Thursday in November, starting at 6 p.m. on North Palm Canyon Drive, just across from the Sunny Bono statue in beautiful downtown Palm Springs, California. And I'll actually be at this one for real on November 24th. While Aaron's doing that, please go on to iTunes and rate our show. And tell us what you'd like to hear next. And for each week in November, we'll be giving away a free Disney Dish t-shirt to one lucky iTunes reviewer drawn at random. Do me a favor, please, and send me a copy of that review so I have your email address, len at touringplans.com. For Jim, this is Len. We will see you on the next show.